0: السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام
1: عليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين والصحابة الأكرمين وتابعينهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وعلينا معهم وفيهم برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين bismillah um it's very nice to be back in a retreat like setting alhamdulillah we were able to have um, more people in person the summer retreat was solely online and um, the retreats are something that we very much look forward to and now miss uh, because all this time has passed and we haven't been able to do it in person like we're now able to do it alhamdulillah and inshallah that more and more as time passes that we'll get back to our norm in relation to this, and so this has been quite a journey through this amazing work of Hujjat al-Islam al We have now reached book 39. So there are 40 books in the Ahya that serve as like volumes, and we started <coughs> with the second half, and so now we've reached all the way to book number 39. And the intention is that after we finish book 40. We will go back, start with book one, and progress through, inshallah ta'ala. And hopefully, that as time passes, that we'll be able to complete it multiple times. And so, the last quarter of the Ihya, so books 31 to 40, are all about what are called munjiyat, saving virtues. Very important traits that we need to acquire, states that we hope to have become a reality within us, and important religious principles that are at the very heart of this deen, central to this deen. And book 39 is titled Kitab At-Tafakkur. Kitab At-Tafakkur. And the book of Tafakkur. And there are a number of different ways that you could translate Tafakkur. And this is actually what we are going to start with. And uh, I did want to say, I uh, wanted to thank uh, Sidi Muhammad Isaweli for allowing us to use his unpublished translation. Um, that we will be, uh, when we read some of the Arabic, we will be um, we're looking at um, his, his translation and using that. He kindly uh, allowed us to do so. And the PDF printout from the translation of one of the abridgments of the Ahya that you all have access to, um they we were kindly permitted by the publisher to make those available for the retreat uh and the condition there is is just please keep that to yourself and for your own personal use and don't uh, distribute please so you can benefit from it <coughs> and it can open up uh further doors of understanding this very important topic um so you can it will serve as an aid we're not going to be going through it um line by line um and um, so Let's start with this word tafakkur. One of the ways of translating it, which is customarily how I tend to translate it, uh, for for the reason of simply um, just um, convention, it's become that we've become used to doing so, is translating tafakkur as reflection. Um, That tafakkur could also be translated as contemplation. And just as tefekka could also be translated as meditation. And so the basic meaning of reflect, of course, is to think deeply or carefully about something. Okay, the basic meaning of contemplation is to look thoughtfully at something for a long time. The meaning of meditation. Not the meaning that you will see on your Fitbit app or when you Google meditation, that type of thing, where it talks about the different types of meditation, transcendental meditation, all these different types of things, um, where someone is reciting a mantra and stuff like that. That's one of the more popular meanings of meditation now. But meditate means pretty much the same thing as reflect and contemplate. It's to think deeply or carefully about something. So you could say in that sense, yeah, there definitely is an Islamic meditation. And we have a particular way of doing this. Now, the amazing thing here is, and I'll just mention this nuance, and uh, you all have to bear with me. I'm, I, I don't feel as prepared for this topic as I should be. This is, I'm really excited to look into these meetings with you. I'm going to do my best. There's a lot kind of going on up here. I'm just hoping that it's all going to come out in the right way. So I ask you all to bear with me. If I seem kind of all over the place, I'm going to do my best to try to stay focused and to hopefully (coughs) say something of of benefit that will be useful as well. So um, one of the amazing things is is that we oftentimes think of meditation when you hear presented in the modern world as (coughs) something related to mental health and physical health. Like you need to do this for your mental health and physical health. But one of the things that you'll find when it comes to Imam Ghazali, which is so amazing, the whole goal of tafakkur, as Imam Ghazali is going to present it, is ma'rifah of Allah. Is coming to know Allah. That's the whole goal. And the more ma'rifah of Allah that you have, the more muhabba you have. The more knowledge of Allah you have, the more love you have. The more love you have, the more knowledge you have. The more knowledge you have, the more love you have. So thus you can kind of get an idea why this book comes after book 36, which is the book on love. Because the more ma'rifah that you have, the more love that you will have. And then again, the more love, the more ma'rifah, and so forth and so on. And so the goal of ma'rifah is drawing close to Allah and coming to know Him, just to take it right where we're supposed to be. Now, the amazing thing about this, and I was reflecting about th- it with, with Ustad Amjad, is that it's almost as if the health side of things, the benefits for your health, were given. So, obviously, by meditating, by reflecting in the way that Imam Uzadi is saying, there's going to be health benefits. Your blood pressure is going to go down. Your heart rate is going to go down. And on the long list of other benefits, you're going to be more relaxed and it's going to reduce your stress. All those things are givens. So you don't even necessarily have to intend them. They're going to happen. But this is what's so beautiful. And this opens up the door for us if you and I are benefiting from many of these practices that are out there for our health, which we should. We have to be careful about our intention. Make the intention Allah. And you'll get that religious spiritual benefit and then you'll get those other benefits that come with it as well. So this is very important. And and I almost see it similar to like something like organic food. In the pre-modern world before industrialized farming, there wasn't really anything called organic food. Because everything was organic. It's just the way that it was. Now there were certain practices that were haram that people were doing or that could have been doing that wrong and being unjust to animals, of course. No, but in general, all farming was organic. It's only with the introduction of that industrialized farming that you have to have this thing called organic farming, i.e. saying what it's not. Okay, there's no pesticides or there's no... Do 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 all these other types of things. And the similar thing is is that just... it's people in previous times in the pre world exercised more. That's all there is to it. They would walk. There wasn't... Uh, cars, and airplanes, and things of this nature, and I've seen this in with my own eyes in West Africa, where men in their 60s and their 70s, very easy for them to walk 40 miles, you know, 20, 30 miles, very easy, you know, up big canyons, and the young people are all tired, and that type, because they've been used to walking their whole life. That just all of the other things that they normally do, getting water, moving around during the day, walking to the masjid, their whole lifestyle was exercise. So it's only now that when we have such sedentary lifestyles do we have to go out of our way to develop these good exercise habits. So it's just really, it's important to think about that. So we shouldn't approach the Sunnah reflection like, okay, I want to study this so that I could be more healthy. Yeah, that could potentially be an intention you make, but... The whole goal of here is much beyond that, is much greater than that, is much more profound than that. So, this word tafakkur again, reflection, contemplation, meditation. And the idea here is, is that we're thinking about something deeply, profoundly, at length. We are making connections. And just to throw another few words out there that are kind of in this range of synonyms, words like ponder, which again, um, (coughs) this is about thinking carefully about something. (coughs) But oftentimes we think of pondering something as to make a decision. That word cogitate, again, to think deeply about something, ruminate, consider mull, when you mull over something. These are other words that also convey um, some of the base meanings of reflection. For the most part, we're just going to be using the word reflection. And um, the, I be, because I like the generic nature of that word because as we will see, there are many different types of reflection. And so by keeping it somewhat generic, it allows for the range of meanings. But again, that's just personal preference. <coughs> so there are a number of different words, even in Arabic, that Hujjat al-Islam Imam Mughzadi introduces about this. And there are words like ta'amul, tadabbur, i'tibar, tadhakkur, nazar, And again, there are different ways that you could translate all of these different words. But I will just go with what Sidi Muhammad Isa Whaley has here. Um, so, tafakkur, contemplation, like he said, or reflection. i'tibar, taking cognizance. tadakkur, recollection. nadar, consideration. ta'amul, yeah, he translates here as reflection. and tadabbar, pondering. These are various words in Arabic that you'll come across that also indicate a similar meaning. Now, four of those six are all on the form tafa'ala And one of the meanings of this form, because the morphological that scales, so in this case, this particular pattern, ya يتفعلوا, they all have different meanings. One of the meanings of the form tafa'ala, is to exercise energy to achieve something. So, ilm is knowledge. Ta'allum is to put energy in to achieve knowledge. Hilm is forbearance. Tahallum is striving to become forbearing. Okay? Fikr, even though you can use it even in that sense as that reflection, um, is also just basically thought. A fikra is an idea or a thought. So, tafakkur is... Using al-aql fil is using your intellect in four things in order to come to know them and to understand them. So when we speak of tafakkur, it relates to the aql of the human being. And again, this word aql, the in, in my, my point here is not to be extremely precise in the translations um, that's a whole other topic you know do you translate this as cognition aqal, or do you k- translate it as intellect or do you translate it as mind all of these words are loaded especially words like mind these are very loaded words so my point here is just to speak about it very generally and save that more scientific pres- precise discussion for another time it's basically using your aql your intellect to think about things to come to know things to make connections between things now one of the things that Imam Ghazali does is that when he introduces this he says right off the bat know that the meaning of fikr okay tfakr, of reflection contemplation is to bring together in the heart two cognitions marifatain." to things that are known in order to produce from them a third cognition, a third piece of knowledge, okay? So he gives us an example. Take, for example, the case of a person who is inclined to to prefer transitory things um, and so goes in the pursuit of the life of this lower world. Suppose that then he wishes to ascertain that the next world is more deserving of preference than the lower world. There are two means by which he may do so. Firstly, he may be told by someone else that the afterlife is to be preferred to this life, and then adopt that opinion without himself gaining any insight into the essence of the matter. So we'll come back to that. And so he then inclines towards acting in a way that bespeaks preferring the next life to the life of this world, relying simply upon the word of the other person. This is called taqlid, translated here as imitative acceptance. It cannot be called ma'rifah, direct knowledge. The second means, i.e. for him to come to this conclusion, consists of taking cognizance firstly of the fact that which is more lasting is more worthy of preference. So the first part of this is what? And this is a traditional syllogism, but we're not going to be speaking about it in terms of logic. So thinking about that, fir- that if something is more lasting, it's more worthy of preference. So if you're bring it down to things that you purchase if you know by purchase an item it's significantly cheaper but it's going to last a very short period of time you are likely to spend a little bit more to get an item that's going to last twice as long or three times as long so in general that which is more lasting is worthy of preference preference so we agree to that and then that the afterlife is more lasting so, obviously, by definition, this world comes to an end. The afterlife is permanent. So, that is more lasting. And then, finally, what we come to that, i.e., the afterlife is more worthy of preference. That realization can only be obtained by means of the two cognitions referred to. Okay. So, this is how he, boom, just gets right into تفكر, the true nature of reflection. And by him mentioning this example in this way of reflection, it includes many of the other ways of I- reflection that he would also say are definitely a part of what is called fikr or tafakkur. And here you can see what is taking place. You're using your aql, your intellect, to come to a conclusion that you probably already intuit, you already know that the afterlife is more worthy for us to spend our time preparing for and working towards we all kind of know that and really intuit that partially because we've been told and partially that we've done this process that that is mentioned here but this is where tafakkur becomes so powerful because tafakkur includes what is called tadhakkur which is recollection and he has this beautiful statement here where he says in relation to recollection i.e recalling what you already know, what is its faida? What is its purpose? What is its benefits? Is it so that it becomes firmly rooted in the heart and it's never erased? So the more that you think about something, the more that you bring about something, that meaning in your heart, the more rooted that meaning is going to be in your heart and the one of the greatest benefits of and we're going to get to its fruits is new knowledge that comes as a result okay and this is what happens when you with a syllogism is that you that put two known things together and it produces that something that is additional to those two things so in this case the example that he mentioned that the uh, hereafter is more worthy of our preference Because that it's everlasting, and this world is perishing. So we should strive towards it. And when you actually go through this process, it might seem like it's very simple. Okay, I know that. That just seems almost too simple. But it's actually spending the time in worship, because when you do this, you are worshiping. And you're reflecting on those meanings in that moment is that worship. And so, thinking about the world, thinking about the transitory nature of the world, have we ever just stopped to think like, subhanAllah, I had that delicious meal, but it's over. Our passions are fleeting. This world is fleeting. Yesterday is gone. What's yesterday? What's what's the past? What is the future? We can think about that. We know there's this concept of the past. We know there's this concept of the future. But really all we have is this moment. But then as I just said, this moment, that's gone. And then we're in the next moment. It's miraculous how we experience time. It's miraculous. It's amazing. And if you really think deeply about it, then it points the human being to recognize that the nature of this world is that it's halik as Allah says kullu shay'in halikun illa wajha. Everything is halik. Everything is in is is constantly perishing. Evanescence. It's just going out of existence. Everything's going to perish. By virtue of taking our next breath, we're getting closer to our death. However it is that we die, whatever is eventually the cause of our death. We're going to die We're getting closer into our death every breath that we take. This is the nature of this world. And then you think about permanence. You think about eternity. And the more that you spend time really reflecting upon that, it will profoundly, profoundly impact the heart. So this is the thing about reflection. You don't have to be a scientist or a philosopher to be a good reflector. You could be a very simple person. And really, it's oftentimes the things that we intuit. It's oftentimes the things that we kind of all know that are part of common knowledge. But what's really important is that we spend that time reflecting and we try to make those connections between things. And so, then he will uh, make a subtle distinction between some of these words. And, um, that he he, he, he says about this, that, words like, nadar, uh, translated here as, as uh, that, uh, words like, nadar, and tafakkur are more closely related to each other, uh, because, uh, so consideration, and, and reflection, are more closely related to each other, than some of the others. And, um, But when we think about of all of the different, what are called the majari al-fikr, and you could translate that as the different channels of reflection, or even the different ways of reflection, um, that you will find is that each one is slightly different. And this is where we come to this, this second important point. What then is the fruit of reflection? So, in general, that Hujjat al-Islam Imam Ghazali he says, "Wa thamarat al-fikr wal Okay. So the really that far-reaching fruit or fruits of reflection are various types of knowledge, states, and actions or acts. And he's going to walk us through this. But you could also say, and this is something that Imam Haddad mentions, um, and incidentally, this is Imam Haddad's section in the Book of Assistance, is a great synopsis of reflection. And I, I highly recommend that everybody go home and read that. Because it will, after we kind of get a little bit more detailed, Imam Lozadi is very adamant about creating the broader frame and how to understand it. And he gives, you a, 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 um, he, he gives you a way to understand reflection that allows you to remain firm and to not waver and to understand really how it relates to this deen and its importance. And then when you get to that Imam, uh, Imam Haddad's treatment of it, it's extremely practical. And you could actually spend the next 10 years of your life Following what Imam al-Haddad lays down because he, he gives us I think seven different ways of Reflecting and he shows the fruit of each So we'll actually speak about this very briefly, and then we'll come back to uh, What Imam al-Ghazadi is saying? Specifically in relation to knowledge because the greatest fruit he says here is ilm, is knowledge and he's going to again tie this into knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's important to recommend. However, all of these types that we'll mention now are also types of reflection. The first and foremost is the wonders in creation, which there'll be two sessions with Ustaz Amjad about that. And this includes the human being, of course. The human being, everything that is around the human being that everything that is the human being can see and reflect upon. Reflecting upon the blessings upon us. Sorry. So the fruit of the previous one is increased knowledge of Allah. And as Ustaz Amjad mentioned, Imam Uzadi that mentions this uh, in, in this book, is that It's by reflecting upon Allah's creation that we can come to know Him. Because we can't know the essence of Allah. We can't know the true nature of His attributes, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But everything in creation, He brought into existence. Everything in creation manifested through His power. And so by reflecting upon what Allah ta'ala has created... It produces knowledge of Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the way that we're able to as human beings. And the second is the blessings of Allah upon us, reflecting upon the blessings of Allah upon us. The fruit of this is the love of Allah and gratitude, inwardly and outwardly. So you can see what's happening here. You think about a blessing. And you think about all the different ways that that blessing is a blessing. And you think about you've been gifted that blessing. And you think about all of the things associated with that blessing. So here, you're not necessarily just taking two things, combining and getting a third. This is a type of reflection, though, reflecting about all the different aspects of that blessing. And then what happens when you're doing this for the right reason, for Allah, right? Not just to, you, you actually, because now people know gratitude works. You'll, you'll, heal, you'll see this all over the importance of gratitude, just as mindfulness and meditation. You'll, this is one of the things you, people say, you have a grateful attitude because it works. But for us, yes, there's that physical and mental benefit, but more importantly, it's the spiritual benefit that comes from that. This is one of the stations of certainty where which, by which you draw near to Allah Ta'ala. So the fruit here is love of Allah. Because when someone does something good to you, you're thankful. And you love them as a result. And gratitude. But gratitude here, Imam Haddad is extremely precise, even though he's concise. He's precise and concise, yet very precise. He essentially says inwardly and outwardly. So, in other words, you're truly gra- great, gra- you show your gratitude by using those blessings for the reason they've been created. And also professing that on the tongue. The third is reflecting upon Allah's all-encompassing knowledge of us in His gaze upon us. So this is very close to what we call (coughs) muraqabah, vigilance, where we actually spend time bringing to mind and to heart that Allah sees us and He knows everything about us and His gaze is upon our heart. Spending time an extended period of time. This is extremely beneficial. And really, this is not about, and maybe we'll we'll end with this uh, in this session because we want to be practical too. This is not just about learning this. This is about putting this into practice. Try this for two minutes. In the morning and two minutes in the evening. Just two minutes. And bring to heart that Allah sees you. He gazes upon your heart. He knows everything about you. And just fixate your thought on that. And when your mind starts to drift, which it will, don't fight it. Don't get too worried about it. Even if you have a crazy thought, just let it go. You know you don't want it to drift, and you know that you don't like those thoughts. So you don't need to preoccupy yourself with those thoughts. You just come back to what you're reflecting upon. You just come back to what you're reflecting upon, and again, this is extremely healthy for the human being, extremely healthy. And there's a book that um, uh, Hakim Sinim Khan advised the Fakir to read recently, called The Relaxation Response, I believe, by Herbert Benson. And um, This is someone who very early on believed in the connection between uh, mind and body, early on in the Western sense, which is, again, this is... (laughs) Most people have known this for a long time, but there was this dichotomy for a long, hundreds of years, and still, to some degree, is still there. Uh, (coughs) And he just, he says, how many health benefits are in this? And how they have been able to, that when you do this, and he says... He actually studied a group of people who did transcendental meditation and he noted a number of different things that through their meditation that health benefits. And some of them have already been mentioned, lower blood pressure, lower heart rate, all these types of things, um, and a number of others. Uh, And what he says is it doesn't have to be um, that specific type of meditation. They did further studies and found that there are two main factors that need to be there for this what he calls the, ila- the relaxation response which is kind of like making not really a religious thing such that anyone can have access to it. So even if someone wanted to just um, focus on a word like calm, is that you have something you repeat over and over again. So um, like for a Muslim it might be a weird and I might be re- repeating la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. Or for like someone who doesn't believe, you could just have them repeat like a word like calm, 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 one, one, just a word. And by repeating a word over and over again, and even though your mind drifts, you come back to it. And he said the second thing is passivity. Is that you are passively involved in this practice and you that... Don't let your mind stray with those thoughts. You just bring it back to whatever it is that you're repeating. Whereas for us, that passivity reminds us of our ubudiyah, our servitude to Allah. So you're saying la ilaha illa and you're bringing to heart that you're just an abd, a servant of Allah, while just focusing on the meaning of la ilaha illa, la ilaha illa. Um, but doing this with intention, that this is one of the very best forms of worship of all, And again, there's health benefits, but that's not the primary focus. So whatever it is that you're doing, so let's just say that we're doing this particular reflection exercise that bringing to heart that Allah sees us at all times. Just do it for two minutes and try your best just to focus. And then extend it. Slowly extend it over time. And you will see the fruits. You will see the fruits. And sometimes you see the fruits actually very quickly. So the fruit of this way of reflection is shyness before Allah. Is that you become shy before Allah. Knowing that He sees you at all times. You only want to be where He has commanded you to be. And you never want to be where He has forbidden you from being. Number four. are shortcomings in worshipping Allah. So again, you start thinking about all of the things that you fall short in. And the fruit of this is that fear of Allah. You start to fear. Ya My God, what state am I in? How much have I fallen short? But this is a positive fear because it motivates you to then reproach yourself. You rebuke yourself. You take yourself to account. And it leads you to like, I got to get myself together. I can't just keep living like this. The fifth is reflecting upon the life of this world and the hereafter. The life of this world, its preoccupations, its dangers, that how it's perishing, kind of the example that Imam Ghazali gave, and the hereafter in its bliss, in its permanence. Really reflecting upon the nature of this world. Thinking about examples of of all these things that are happening around you, people that are in the peak of their career, and then what happens? That really reflecting upon that all of these things, what's money going to do? That if you, a couldn't use the bathroom, and you had all the money in the world, and you could not use the bathroom, and if you gave up all that money, that you'd be able to use the bathroom. Everyone would give up all the money in the world to be able to use the bathroom. So what's the money really worth? What is that money really worth? If you would give it up for one instance of using the restroom, these are important things for us to really reflect deeply upon. And then six, death. One of the greatest things of all that we reflect upon is death. Sorry, so the fruit of the previous one was detachment from the world and desiring the hereafter. Number six, death. And the regret and remorse which occur when it's too late. What's the fruit of this? Short hopes, rectified action and prepa- preparation for the appointed day. And then the seventh one that Imam al-Haddad mentions is, the attributes and acts by which Allah has described as awliya, and those that have rebelled against him. So, in Allah's book, we have a description of the righteous. We have a description of that the that uh profligates who do we want to be like we want to be like the righteous we want to emulate them and what does this do this creates love of the righteous in our hearts and enables us to habituate ourselves to emulate them and to detest the wretched and to habituate ourselves to avoid their behavior and traits of character you can access everything i just mentioned in the book of assistance in in a very succinct way but the point here is when we speak about reflection it includes all of this. So, uh, if you look at the, um, what Ustad Amjad mentioned to you in the previous session, from uh, the various narrations <coughs> verse in the Quran to other uh, narrations of the Prophet to other reports of the Salaf, is that they included some of this. And he didn't mention all of them, he mentioned what he could, but you could see the ones that he did mention are included in that list. Uh, and, and there's more. So, even the way Imam Ghazali is presenting it, it includes all of that. Okay, and so really reflection then is it's this process whereby which we fixate our thoughts on particular things that we know. And our goal is to either have that thing become solidified within us to, say, for instance, learn a lesson from it, to have it impact our heart in a particular way and in its highest form that lead to more knowledge okay so that is essentially that the various words that relate to reflection and the fruit of reflection so what imam Ghazali then does is he shows us how this works in the way that it, it will transform us okay so he says here There are five darajat steps that really take place in this. Okay? And um, that he gives us the example then of this previous. So he mentions again uh, the previous example of the hereafter. He says. So after reflecting deeply upon the perishing nature of this world, how we should prefer what is everlasting that you come to this conclusion that we should prefer the hereafter over this world. He says that what happens is when you do this properly is that this becomes firmly rooted in the heart, you have certainty about that reality. And it leads to a change in your heart, i.e., in this case, a desire for the hereafter and to have zuhud in the dunya and to detach from this world. He says, "This is what we mean by hal, the change of state as a result of reflection. okay? Because this heart this, it changed from a love of this world to a, that aversion towards it into that loving for, of, of the next world. So he says here is that these what are the five degrees? The first is a tadakkur, This is re- recollection. Okay, so there's five states, the first is, Recollection. Oops, I'm going the wrong way here. Oh. Sorry, just give me one sec, I'm trying to find my place here in the translation. Okay. And recollection is when you're bringing what you know to the heart. So either specifically two separate pieces of knowledge where you're trying to come to a conclusion in relation to something new, or you're bringing to heart something that you know. And then the second stage is the tafakkur. So this first stage also includes, you're thinking about that particular blessing. You are reflecting upon something in creation, an ant reflecting upon a cloud you're reflecting upon uh, something within the human being breathing you're reflecting upon the circulatory system you're reflecting upon um, the how our body heals itself whatever it be may be. you're reflecting on something specific and you're bringing that into heart and then you're going through a process of trying to understand it and to think about its various dimensions and then the third stage is um, how your heart becomes enlightened as a result of reflecting upon what it is that you brought to your heart or if you're bringing two things together there's a new knowledge that comes the fourth stage is now this is where your heart will start to change as a result of this whole process and then the fifth stage is, khidmat al-jawarih lil qalb. Is that now, is that th- this is relates to the service performed for the heart by the bodily members, by your limbs. Bihasabi ma tajaddallahu له al-hal. In conformity with the new state prevailing within it. So the, he's just walking us through how this actually takes place. And then he gives us an example um, of, of, of how this works, and I'll just read the, the, the translation of this. When a stone is struck by a piece of iron, a spark of fire comes from it, illuminating the place around it and enabling the eyes to see around whereas previously they could not see it. The limbs of the body are then brought into motion in the same way. The tinderbox box that kindles the light of cognition is contemplation. It combines two cognitions, just as the stone and iron are brought together, joining them in a particular way, just as a stone is struck against iron in a particular way. Thanks to this light, the heart is transformed so that it inclines towards something to which it did not before, just as one's ability to see is transformed by the light from the fire so that it can see what it could not see before. Thereupon, one's limbs are aroused to action in accordance with the exigency of the state of his heart. And the same way that someone unable to act because of the surrounding darkness is aroused to action by being able to perceive with his sight what he could not see before. Bringing two things together, that result happens. That spark comes. It creates something that then leads to that light by way of fire that you can now see. This is a beautiful metaphor for what takes place when we spend time reflecting. But again, this is one of the abandoned sunnahs of our prophet sallallahu alaihi wa is one of the abandoned sunnahs. When was the last time that you were taught how to reflect? When was the last time that we actually spent time? Now, we tend to reflect throughout our day. And as human beings, we're reflecting. You're in the car, you're driving somewhere, you're at work, you're whatever, wake up in the morning, sometimes you can't sleep at night. We're reflecting. But the key really here is Is to do intentional reflection where you actually make a strong intention I am doing this for Allah and I want this specific specific fruit from it where you actually are ideally in a distraction free environment you do it at a time where you're not preoccupied you do it at a time where that one of your children is not going to pull you in a direction or you're not going to have to do something else or it's not you're not going to have to go out. And for different people, there's different times that we that might be able to do this. Maybe for some at night before we go to bed. Maybe some others midday. Whatever it is, find a time that is distraction-free and prepare yourself for this. Wear nice religious clothes. Be, be in a place that um, smells good. You have a Particular, have a prayer mat that you use, burn bachur and, and incense and things of this nature. And so make it pleasant and do it with intention. And again, it doesn't have to be for a long period of time. Start with very short periods of reflection. And the fruits of this you will find are tremendous and amazing. Now, so then Imam Muzay wraps up this chapter by saying, And so he said is that that the f- this fruit of reflection, these various types of knowledge and states, and of course, uh, and that, that 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 result from it, there's no end to their greatness and to how much you can achieve from this. Now. And so he says, um, and what he's going to do now then is, is move on in the next chapters to talk about these various channels uh, of reflection, and it's going to be Ustaz Amjad's job to talk about uh, the, the ones that relate to creation, and the faqir is going to be that speaking about the ones uh, that relate to us as servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think we're going to uh, stop there. We're going to, um, because we have another 10 minutes, we'll take a few questions, and then we're going to end with just a a two-minute reflection, brief reflection session, inshallah Dada, Are there any questions that anyone has? Maratabi? Mm. Maybe in this sense it disaster. right Mashallah. and one of the things that you'll find when um, when, when you start to realize how vast reflection is there's hundreds of things that we can reflect upon thousands of things that we can reflect upon and this is why if you think about it let's just say you did it the majority of the days of the year so let's say you did it for 300 days out of the year there's plenty of things to reflect upon. And what might actually, if you wanted to take it to a next step, if you wanted to, it's like start a journal. Like something, And you can actually find these online, like reflection journals, where you can uh, kind of mention what it is that you reflected upon, and maybe any insights that you had into that as a result. And you'd be surprised. you know. And we have to get beyond this idea of like, this is weird, or this is foreign to our deen. No, this is from the essence of our deen. I went to this retreat one time, and when it was, I was—we were actually invited there, and um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, <coughs> and I was a little bit hesitant to be honest, because of the masjid that it was associated with. Um, and I got there, and these are people that are not really. This masjid was not associated with a masjid of like knowing that they're people of like tasawuf or even open to that. So I had no idea what to expect. And these were primarily young people. And usually younger people, when they're kind of in the high school, college, you know, it's kind of like, oh, this is weird. I don't want to, like, close my eyes and reflect upon something. So one of the things that they did, because we weren't in control of the retreat, one of the things that they would do is they would go on a hike. And during the hike, you couldn't speak. And then you, that reached the point where you would then, rest a little bit, and everybody for like 30 minutes had to reflect. No talking. And then you have to write down your reflections. On the way back, no talking. And I'm like thinking like, these are young people. There's going to be people breaking the rules. There's going to be people like, you know, messing around. I was shocked. Everybody was following the rules. Like everybody was following the rules. No one was talking. Everyone was doing the reflecting. Everyone was taking it seriously, and everyone had manners, because then people would, res- would read their reflections, and some of these reflections, again, they were very deep, and so that, that that really inspired hope in me. Like, wow, this is, you know, this is really doable, and um, you know, the benefits are, are are immense. Are there any other uh, any other questions, Brandon? Uh, and then we'll come to.
0: That critique things in is a form of knowledge. That, the knowledge that we want, uh, when you say the word benefit, is a means. Mm. Right, so in other words, he, he is critical of knowledge which is somehow an end in itself. Right. But here he does seem to be open to the possibility that there is a form that is that is beneficial for the soul. Right. That obviously it does it leads us to obedience to Allah, hopefully because it leads to love. Right. anything right. but it helps us love and, and, and know a lot. Right. So I was wondering if you could talk about that Anna, and I can just maybe what what uh, what kind of distinction would you make between forms of reflection which are for in themselves beneficial
1: and, and which, which are which you would be critical of if forms of reflection right um that's a very good question mashallah. Um yeah so this is in a sense if you could say this it's like spiritual logic. This is like him basically um spiritualizing logic. And I think that, um, that the type of forms of, of thinking that he'd be against is like sophistry, where the whole point is just like, you know, never-ending arguments of trying to poke holes in other people's arguments and things of that nature. Um, or that you, because he's not against logic, and I mean, was like, keep in mind, he wrote several books of logic, and he was a top-notch theologian as well and incorporated a lot of logic kind of mm, as some of his predecessors did and really made it a staple part of the Kanam tradition. But, um, um, you know, he, he, he would be uh, against, especially with his concept, which is the thrust of the <laughs> the knowledge of the path of the hereafter, the science of the path of the hereafter, he would be against using it for its sake, j- j- uh, u- using it just for the sake of using it, right? Either coming to false conclusions, he would be against, or just the whole process of going through it for the sake of going through it. Right? Ilm al Kalam has a purpose, and once it serves that purpose, then you have to move on to what's beyond that. That has its purpose, and no one's taking from its purpose. But the purpose of the Ilm al Kalam is to protect our creed, to articulate our creed, and to protect it. But Ma'rifah, knowledge of Allah, is, yeah ilm al-karam, if you use it because some spiritual paths actually do that uh, study ilm al-karam as a means for them to motivate them to travel the spiritual path. But you have to travel the spiritual path. You can't just stop there. So I don't know if that's kind of what you're getting at. That's where I would kind of see that anything that would um, uh, that uh, uh, limit someone's spiritual progression by not by, by, by doing it for the sake of doing it, I think he would be uh, be opposed to. Yeah. Simhon, did you want to add to that? If I may, just
2: starts the chapter There's no doubt about where Illum stands in the uh, value of mind things, but it has to be contextualized. If it doesn't produce something, it's yeah. no good. But what's he said in the chapter, and you, you, you cited this, uh, this is just approximately what he says. Right. This process that uh for somebody whose heart is alive, uh, then they go from uh thinking about something to realize a new piece of knowledge, that right. changes the state of their heart, and that changes the state of how they act. So it's an eminently practical thing. And some of the sages in not only Islam and other traditions say that contemplation is the highest form of action. It's not a talking about logic here in his application, but he doesn't mention the word logic. And this isn't the only form of figure that, that he ever considers worthwhile. Right. This is the double of the Quran, for example, which has its own place in the book about the site of Quran, so he doesn't go into it. Mm. There are
1: other ways as well. And well, he 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 meant he's going to mention in the next session, we'll get that he actually does mention the... Which is a very beautiful point because that's very consistent with what Imam Azadi does. Anything that can be a benefit, he'll appropriate it, and use it for a good spiritual, religious purpose. Right. So it's it's uh, yeah. Um, Amen. Sure. So the, the, the first state is tadakkur, recollection, okay? Um, which consists of bringing to mind two cognitions. So, in that specific way, or re- recollection of any of these ways of reflection that we mentioned that, that Imam Haddad lays out. So, you're bringing that to mind, okay? And then the second stage is the tafakkur, where you start using your intellectual ability to reflect deeply upon what it is it you brought to mind. So the second stage is tafakkur, contemplation, reflection, which is the search for the cognition which one seeks to obtain from the two already in mind. So again, I don't want us to only think of it as like these two different things and producing a third because there's clearly other ways, as Sidi Maha mentioned, that would say are part of reflection that works slightly differently. Like another example of that is like tibar here, which is, which is really... Uh, about learning lessons and taking warning uh, or taking cognizance of something, which is where you're thinking about something that happened and you're trying to learn a lesson from that and apply it to yourself. So in that sense, it works a little bit different. There's still multiple dimensions to it, i.e., you saw something happen to someone. You reflect upon that lesson. You reflect on how that relates to you. And how it is that you can avoid that happening to you, and so forth, and so on. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, mm hmm. So one more point. What was the
2: and Muhammad he knows, a spiritual master as well as sort of a theoretician. So, what underpins part of all this discussion and the uh, fact that we have to talk about transitions from the end to the end the Amman is that the goes together with the
1: and that first Quranic ayah for the end of the Quran. Ali Imran. Yes, wait now. Yeah. Now, mashallah. Thank you. Absolutely. No. So then the third stage is that where uh, what he says, حُصُولِ Matruba. So now this is obtaining the desired cognition and the heart's illumination by it. So in the example of like taking a lesson, after thinking about that lesson, reflecting upon it, your heart becomes illuminated by exactly what you need to do to avoid that particular thing, for instance, or whatever. Uh, and then fourth is where the heart starts to change. تغيير حال القلب. Okay. Be so that the, um, the, uh, a change in the heart from its former state by virtue of the illumination gained. And then fifth relates to the amad, the outward act which he speaks of it in the context of the service performed for the heart by the bodily members in conformity with the new state prevailing within, i.e., the action that it leads to outwardly. Okay. And um, he just he has that tendency to break things down in great detail. Um, it, it, the, you know, we I think we kind of intuit that process, but he breaks it down in those steps in and, 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 and that particular way. Um, so I think we're out of time, but I did want to just take two minutes. Um, and 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 to keep and just to just to try to just try to try to do this, and so I think what, what we'll what we'll do is and again just two minutes. We will think about Allah's all-encompassing knowledge of us, and His gaze upon us. So again, we want to fixate our minds on that, and bring to bring to heart and mind that Allah sees us, and that His gaze is upon our heart, and He knows everything about us and we'll just fixate that our hearts and minds on that for 2 minutes bismillah InshaAllah. Someone else was timing too. Inshallah. And If you if you think about it, SubhanAllah. Uh, like imagine your your best friend. If your best and closest friend. Really knew, everything about you. Everything about you. Would they even still be your friend? Right? Probably not. Even your best friend, if they really knew every thought that you had, everything that is, everything about you, and then so you just realize, like before Allah, we're just exposed. But that also makes you love Allah too, in addition to that other fruit of shyness, because it's like, la ilaha we have nowhere else to turn. La malja wa la minka illa ilayk. There's no refuge and there's no safety from you except to you. And that's where we have to just, subhanAllah, realize our absolute need of Allah and have uh, to exemplify our servitude before Him, Subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq and bless us and give us understanding uh, in the religion and give us understanding of this great that... Uh, sunnah of reflection And to bless us To be able to implement it In a way that's pleasing to him Subhanahu wa ta'ala Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Alhamdulillahi wa